Hey everyone, welcome back to Mission Daily. This is Stephanie Postel, CEO of Mission.org, and I am joined by a dear friend, Lauren Berlingeri, who is the co-founder and co-CEO of Higher Dose. Lauren, welcome to the show. Yay, I'm so glad we're doing this. We've talked about this for months now, so. There's so many good things to talk about today, but before we get into Higher Dose and your history in biohacking and all the crazy things that you're up to right now, I wanna actually go through your background because when I first met you, I was like, this woman's different. Mm-hmm. One, we're going to be friends. Two, she has twins as well. Three, she's awesome. So I want to hear, you know, before you got into this space, what were you doing in your previous life? Yeah, um, I've always loved working. Um, you know, I started working at the age of 10. I had major responsibilities of watching two young girls and picking them up every day from school. At 10? At 10, which is like a lot of responsibility. This is back in the day when parents were kind of a little bit more scrappy and not so worried and they didn't have all the apps that they have. Yeah, make that money, Lauren. <laughs> but I would just pick them up from school. I'd walk them home and I'd be with them until their mom got home. But on Thursday, she would come home late so I'd have to cook them dinner. A lot of responsibility, but it was always just like that for me. Mm-hmm. And it kind of rolled into job after job, even worked at McDonald's for three years, which <laughs> I am not ashamed of that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but really um, at the age of 16, I was discovered um, to model which do you remember model search America? Man, I feel like I was so, I was in such a different world. I remember you telling me about this like modeling space. I'm like, well, I, I, no, no. So I know the answer is no. <laughs> you always had the funniest answer on why you didn't model because you did a spreadsheet and figured out that you wouldn't make enough money. I'm like, wow, this girl is so smart and so interesting. Um, well, I did it a little bit differently. Um, so I did go to model search America. They definitely wanted to pick me up. So I started modeling at the age of 16 and, you know, was missing most of my, you know, senior year in high school getting jobs, which Mm -hmm. was great. And then my agent wanted me to go to Milan to start modeling there. So that was my first plane ride to Milan by myself. I remember like taking off on the airplane and literally crying because I was like, how is this airplane moving so quickly and so noisy? And I was just so scared because I never traveled at all. So straight to Milan at the age of 16 was a big deal for me. But that just opened up my eyes to so much. One, I met the most amazing woman from all around the world, you know, from different countries and learned a lot about how modeling was in their country. And it just really struck this interest in me traveling the world modeling. Mm -hmm. So I did that. My next trip was to Australia for a year and a half. Then I went to, you know, different countries in Europe. I went to South Africa multiple times. That's my favorite place. And I even lived in Turkey for a year and a half. But I was a fashion model and I was not very great at it. You mean like walking down the runway model? No, no. So there's two different types of models at that time. One was a high fashion runway model. They would be more editorial, Vogue magazines. And the other one's a commercial model. I was a commercial model. So I did a lot of lingerie, bathing suits. Got it. it. They they call you money girls Mm because you actually make money. Yeah. I remember you telling me how much money you were making. I'm like, hmm, maybe my spreadsheet calculations were (laughs) inaccurate because you were raking in some dough. Yeah. Um, But at the time, I just feel like there wasn't as much support as there is now for for women, especially with, you know, body conscious Mm -hmm. in mind and giving, you know, um, different bodies a a type or different body types a place in modeling. Mm -hmm. Back then it was like you were either a size four or you weren't modeling or you were a size two and you weren't being a high fashion model. Um, So there was just a lot of pressures. And I remember always being obsessed with the next fad diet. My favorite one was Diet Coke and cigarettes. That one lasted for probably a good two years. 
But just over that time of not really knowing how to take care of myself and always having the pressure, I really saw a lot of my health issues start Mm -hmm. to come up. And, you know, I was on the birth control pill back then. And I remember trying to get off the birth control pill and my skin breaking out like crazy, always fluctuated in weight. Um, I had a lot of body dysmorphia and I would never say like I, you know, had anorexia, but like borderline. Mm -hmm. I was always borderline obsessed and just not healthy, um, which wasn't a good thing. So when I had the chance to model in New York City, it was really awesome because there was actually something called fitness modeling then. And that's when I discovered that I can actually be doing fitness and working out and make money doing that. So that's really where I got my interest in like learning about health and nutrition and how to work out. And I went to a school called IIN, which is the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. It was an online course. And I just remember listening to the modules and remembering everything that they said about nutrition. And I really discovered my passion for nutrition and wellness right then. And then I started taking clients at Wilhelmina. And I would work with the young models and teach them how to eat and how to work out and how to take care of themselves. So I had this like little business of health coaching. And were you still modeling while you were doing it? I was still modeling while I was doing it, but mainly fitness modeling. Okay. And while I was a health coach, I actually got interviewed for a show through my modeling agency. And it was called Woman Versus Workout. And it was this really cool YouTube series where I got challenged to do all these very physically demanding Things from NASCAR driving, motocross, 24-hour hell night with Navy SEALs, firefighter training, anything insane, you name it. I tried it on this YouTube series back then. What was the worst thing you tried? Where you're like, this actually sucks. (laughs) 24-hour hell night with Navy SEALs was by far the most physically demanding thing I've ever done in my life. It took me about two weeks just to get my nervous system to sink back to the way it was because I was just so PTSD triggered from it. What were they doing that was, yeah, what were they doing? So you should definitely watch the series. It's a three-part series, that one, yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's 24 hours of nonstop getting pushed to physical limits, getting screamed at, um, mainly being in freezing cold water the whole entire time, Mm -hmm. um, in and out of water. So I was soaking wet and um, cold the whole entire time. And then you go through the whole entire night And in the night, they really torture you on taking you to the mental limits Mm -hmm. by kind of embarrassing you and making you like get a baseball bat and spin your head around on it like, you know, 50 times and then running to the other end and then doing it again and then tagging the other person. And they just wanted to push you to give up. That, Mm -hmm. That is the challenge of Navy SEALs. They need to see who's cut out to be a Navy SEAL. Dang. So I, I was given one up. of the only women that completed that course, actually. Wow. Yeah, back then. Great girl. I don't know if I would have completed it if there wasn't a camera following me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But because there was that camera following <laughs> me, I did not give up. Um, and I think it taught me a lot about how to be an entrepreneur and really just resilience mm-hmm. and, you know, pushing through the most challenging times and And sometimes I feel like it's my biggest strength, but also my biggest weakness, because sometimes I forget to congratulate myself Mm. with these different big moments in my career, um, because I'm always just looking for the next thing. But I'm definitely an A-type personality, which is more of a Navy SEAL. Yeah. But it was just this really cool YouTube series that was way ahead of its time. We never did any like marketing or ads and 
And it was just shared by the communities. So like, for example, the firefighters that watched me do firefighter training, they would share it with the whole entire firefighter community and it mm-hmm. went viral. And that's cool. It got like a hundred and I think I had a million subscribers at one point, um, which was not bad considering that's we- pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Especially Back in the day what when year people- was that? So this was probably 13 years ago. Okay. But Dana White uh, from UFC saw my UFC episode and he was like, that girl is interesting. So that's how I kind of started my TV presenting career is because I started hosting for extreme sports channels like UFC. Mm-hmm. I launched the EA Sports UFC video game. So I got to interview all the UFC fighters, learn about all about UFC. And then IMG picked me up to do the extreme sports division there. So I covered BMX for a while. I cannot imagine you like covering BMX and like being a sports reporter. Well, either could I, because it was so <laughs> stressful because I had to learn about a sport I didn't care about. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute, how am I even here? Yeah. It's an interesting thought thinking of how one little micro decision can literally change the whole course of your trajectory. I mean, you're on this more kind of like a biohacking in a way, like what can a woman's body do? Mm -hmm. What can I keep up with? You were doing, you know, you had that coaching business. Like it's like you were on the path maybe to go more towards where you are now. And then it's like, here comes a diversion, the universe being like, hey, why don't you come over here? Here's an offer. Exactly. And then you're all of a sudden a sports reporter. Exactly. And I didn't have a clear path because my Mm -hmm. plan wasn't to be a TV presenter. Yeah. When did you wake up in that moment and be like, this is not what I want to be doing? When I was interviewing at Fox Sports to be a sports broadcaster. And they were like, well, we should have you cover UFC, obviously, and then basketball. And I'm like, I'm not going to be good at this. Yeah. Like, absolutely not. I didn't want the job and woke up to this is not my passion. Extreme Mm -hmm. sports is not my passion. Actually doing woman versus workout took so much energy from me and was never good for my own health. Mm -hmm. Like my hormones were out of whack. I couldn't sleep through the night because I was just a machine. Yeah. And that never supported my female hormones. I hardly got my period. My skin was a mess. Mm -hmm. And really my true passion has always been in health and wellness. So it was then that I got a job at a health and wellness startup doing product development. And that is where I realized my true passion for being an entrepreneur and building something, but also that I need to be in the wellness space because that is where my passion is. Yeah. How did you shift over to working in that startup? Because it seems like, I mean, I'm hearing about your story. I'm like, man, it feels like opportunities keep popping up for you where you're like, I was modeling and then I did this and then someone offered me this and... Well, the true story is that I was at a yoga studio in New York and the founder of Aloha at the time um, just moved to New York and he started talking to me and learned about that I have a nutrition background and that I was a sports presenter at the time. And he was like, I'm starting this wellness startup. I have no employees. Do you think you would want to consult? And because he wanted to start in wellness and he had no clue about wellness. He was a successful serial entrepreneur, just sold his company, traveled around the world and lived in places like Bali and India and did like Ayurveda and realized that's what true happiness is Mm -hmm. and knew he wanted to start a company around that, but had no clue how to start. And he knew that this is my world and I had a true passion and he wanted to learn more about that. So he offered me a position and I kind of worked my way up in that company. I was there for like four years. I did everything from brand ambassador program to putting together the product team. Um, And lucky enough, that's how I discovered the infrared sauna 
was I had the pleasure to pick the brains of the most influential wellness experts, doctors and naturopaths, to figure out what kind of products we should be making at Aloha. Mm -hmm. So what are you addicted to? What do you prescribe to your clients? Like, what do you think we should look into? And and uh, one of the doctors there, Dr. Frank Lipman, told me about the infrared sauna, the South African doctor. He's like, I have all my clients do the infrared sauna. I'm like, infrared sauna? What are you talking about? What's infrared? And, you know, I lived all around the world, right? Turkey, all through Europe. I'm mm -hmm. Canadian, Norwegian, Italian. Like, those cultures do sauna. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to North America, to New York City, you couldn't find a good sauna if your life depended on it. Yeah, Maybe at the Russian bathhouse that was like, totally a different experience that you do maybe like once a year. Yeah. But to find a good sauna at your like local gym that actually got hot that made you sweat was almost impossible. Mm -hmm. So discovering this infrared sauna that he told me he suggests for everyone because everyone needs to be thinking about daily detoxification. It's really great for skin. It helps with sleep. It really helps with mood. It helps with recovery. And I'm like, wait a minute. Those are all the buzzwords that we're trying to solve for at Aloha. And what we ended up creating was like a green juice powder mm -hmm. packet mm. and a supplement pack. The infrared sauna is actually doing those things. So I looked up the only infrared sauna that existed in New York at the time. It was in this colonic center in a basement behind a curtain, like really dodgy experience. Yeah. Went and tried it and was like, holy shit, this is the best thing I've ever tried. Mm -hmm. It literally did all of those things in one session. And as we know, in the health and wellness space, usually things take months to see transformation. So to feel that immediately and then already have a true passion for sauna and then to find the superior model that no one knows about, I was like, green light went off, I'm starting my own company, started to put together decks, had no clue how to raise money and knew I needed a business partner that understood business mm -hmm. because that wasn't me. So I found my business partner at the time pitched her on infrared and the rest is history for higher dose. Wow. Okay. So for everyone who does not know higher dose yeah. yet, what is it and what products do you have? One of which I use in my house every yeah. day, but yeah, go through it's the list. so funny because higher dose has been so many different things in mm -hmm. the last uh, nine years that we've been doing it. So I'll just take it from the very beginning, which Katie and I started out installing infrared yoga panels into yoga studios because mm -hmm. we're like, why is hot yoga using convectional heat? That's disgusting. Like, yeah use infrared. It's a no-brainer. So we started doing that, but then realized that yoga studios don't have any money. You also can't build the brand around it. Yeah. Actually, Yoga Vita was our first client. No, Y7 was our first client. And they were using space heaters at the time. We Ew, pretty much so gave dry. them, I know, <laughs> in the corners of their studios. And we Ew. installed our higher dose panels and we were doing higher dose like yoga classes out of Y7. Mm -hmm. But then he just went and sourced his own and continued on. And we we're like, wait a minute, this is like not a good business model at yeah. all. Yeah. So we were actually tipped off that um, these sauna spas were doing really well from Clearlight, who is our partners who made our panels and mm -hmm. who makes our saunas. So we decided to raise a small round of friends and family. It was around 80,000 to open up our first location in New York. So we started out with infrared spa locations and that business model took off and did really well and is kind of what built the brand mm -hmm. because all these influencers would come in, feel the same way from the infrared sauna and then take these sexy sauna selfies <laughs> that became kind of iconic in New York at that time. Mm -hmm. 
right? Seeing a, like a half cool. naked person with yeah. these cool lights. Original and, UGC right there, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and we laughed that we never had to spend a dollar on marketing for yeah. like two years. That's awesome. Because people just marketed it for us. So like fast forward, you know, before the pandemic hit, we had 11 locations. We were partnered with Equinox. Mm-hmm. We were in luxury hotels. We had a very tight business model where we never really opened up our own locations. It was always space within a space. So the build out costs were really low and we could build this facade of a business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. And just make money. And and through that, we were able to raise $1.2 from Integrity Square, which we haven't raised money since mm-hmm. then. But fast forward to now. So about two years before the pandemic hit, um, Katie and I were always asked to do pop-up locations. We couldn't log around a 400-pound sauna. Mm-hmm. So we thought about, about this sauna blanket. There were some rudimentary versions that you would find at Shape House that had like crazy high EMF and are not that great for you. Um, so we found a version and then Clearlight introduced us to a manufacturer that was creating these infrared stone beds in South Korea. We took our model with it, with us to Korea and we're like, we need to have no EMF. We need the materials to be better. We need to complement the infrared by adding in stones, emit it natural infrared. And we just made this design and we called it our V3 and we started selling them. And just through our newsletter alone, it took off where that, you know, the sauna blankets were growing at 400% versus our locations, which were growing at 25%. Wow. Wow. How did you even come up with these ideas? I mean, how much research do you do when you're thinking about, okay, I want to have a sauna blanket? How does one come up with what needs to be in that blanket to actually work? Are you looking at scientific journals? How do I mean? All of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we are definitely infrared experts. Mm -hmm. We've been doing it now for nine years. We also have very, um, you know, experienced infrared experts like Raleigh and Andy from Clearlight who've been doing infrared for, I think it's been like 30 plus years. Oh, geez. They advise us. They're Mm -hmm. on our advisory board. Um, They really help guide us because they're experts. They make saunas. They've been doing these domes for a very long time. And and we pretty much were just making products that we wanted to see exist that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And then knowing what we know about, you know, materials and if you're going to be detoxing, then make sure not to have materials that are leaching in chemicals. And, you know, it was mainly just like, for me, I've always naturally been a product developer because I ha- I'm so critical. I have such a critical eye. <laughs> you do. Which is a blessing and yeah. also a curse. It's a good I- friend to have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to be the one to always point out the three things that need to be fixed. But um, also any recommendation that comes from you, I'm like, yeah, full trust. <laughs> I don't even need to verify. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And it was like you'd get the sauna blanket back and it would off gas and it would stink. And I'm like, there's no way we're selling this. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. Like change the materials. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, you know, you wait another three months and all this like sourcing needs to happen. And then you fix that one issue. And then another issue would arise and you'd have to fix that. And, you know, it just took time. And we're already on our fourth version of the sauna blanket. And we're still making improvements all the time, layering and other technologies that are complementary. And, you know, stacking, I think is really important too. We don't have that much time Mm -hmm. to take care of ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, adding on a red light face mask while you're laying in the sauna blanket, listening to your mindfulness meditation. You know, you have a captive audience for mm-hmm. 45 minutes. Like, what else can you do? Yeah. Oh, I wanted you to bring the red light 
oh, face, the mask, face mask so we could do a lightning round with oh, oh we should have just done the whole <laughs> podcast in the red I, light I actually face thought mask. that i'm like i don't know if my team would enjoy that because bumping up against it not being able to see each other's expressions <laughs> but it was gonna be pretty funny yeah i mean that mask looks like a jason mask i know yeah next time next it's, time it's pretty cool but it is also like none of our tech is actually sexy it's all i appreciate that because i'm like it's working yeah <laughs> And and yet we have like quite a, a sexy, healthy brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was really important to us is just kind of making all this like science sexy. Yeah. So tell me about the journey of higher dose. And maybe I love going through kind of the points when you're about to give up. I know when you and I first really connected, it was at a conference and we both were like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Being an entrepreneur sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, and we just, we're both in it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd love to hear kind of just the experiences of like building it up and the excitement and then moments when you're like, okay, I'm ready just to throw all this away. Oh my gosh, so many times. Um, especially because, you know, Katie came from such an interesting background too. She's she finance, gave up, right? She was finance, mm-hmm. yep, investment banker. But then worked at like Tough Mudder, you know, and at the time I met her, she was running Adrienne Grenet's beer company, which okay. is like interesting. Okay. <laughs> called Church Key. Uh-huh. Um, and then I was like somewhat of this TV presenter making money off of, you know, being a nutritionist and being at this successful like wellness startup, making a good salary. So to kind of give that all up to 100% focus on higher dose, which is kind of what we did, was very challenging for Katie and myself. Mm-hmm. And you always start out with like so much excitement, but when you don't pay yourselves for three years and, you know, money gets tight and then you start taking away our freedom because when we open up these locations, we had to switch off working the front desk. Oh, man. Yeah. Right? And yeah. it would be like, Katie's like, well, I'm going away this weekend. Well, no, I'm going away this weekend. We went from not knowing each other to being best friends mm-hmm. to being tied at each other's waist, literally, mm-hmm. to kind of hating each other. And that was really challenging um, because, yeah, we weren't paying ourselves. We were exhausted. And, you know, if she gave up, that would mean that I lose everything and vice versa. And you're kind of just like going back and forth on, you know, she would have low moments. I would have low moments. But I would say our lowest moment is when we almost got into a fist fight in front of our location. Wow. And the Jeez. guy that managed the location had to come out and break, like pretty much break it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, yes, I can imagine because <laughs> when tensions are high like that, I feel like you can turn into a different person. I mean, I, I've seen myself evolve into a very different person when there's so much at stake and there's so many stressors going on where I'm like, I look back maybe a couple of years ago, I'm like, well, who I was back then, very different. Very different. Than I am now. Yeah. It is kind of wild. I mean, it was a blessing that I tried to start my company before I had kids. Yeah. Do you think you would have started it now? Having twins, do you think you would have the gumption to be like, I'm going to start something hard? Well, I always had this thought that I needed to be successful before having kids. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I also went through that where at about five years into our company, you know, David and I got pregnant and I, the person that I was the most afraid to tell was Katie. Mm Mm-hmm. Which right? is so Cause, interesting because that's also how I've ever felt anytime I was pregnant. I'm like, man, I'm afraid to tell my manager. I'm afraid to tell my team. It's I don't want guilt. To, yeah, it's guilt. Even though when I look back on it, I'm like, I worked harder when I was pregnant. I was so involved in that. But And as a mom, like yeah. you become a superhero when you're a mom. You do it all. Mm-hmm. Katie is constantly like, I cannot believe you do what you do at higher dose and have two kids. Yep. 
I yeah. cannot believe. But, you know, you make sacrifices. I feel like you really need to cut through the noise of, you know, what's serving you and what's not. You need to be much more honest, much more direct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, manage your self-care a lot better. You know, you learn all of these the hard way most of the time, but if you can overcome it, then it you make you become like a superhero. Mm -hmm. I really do believe. But that was my biggest stress was getting pregnant and having higher dose, which was my baby, mm -hmm. and not knowing if I was going to be able to do either one of them right, and then finding out I was having twins. Yeah, like no, yeah, no. <laughs> I was so afraid and so scared, like needed to be removed from the doctor's office uh -huh. when I found out I was having twins. I was like, yeah, I have a job. <laughs> yep. I was in denial. I was like, I can't have twins. I'm a twin. <laughs> that's how it works. And she's like, that's not how it works. I'm like, oh, okay. Someone led me astray in my life, mom. <laughs> I was told my whole life I was going to have twins because oh. my mom's a twin. And then my dad's sister, who I take after, she had fraternal twins. So mm -hmm. it was on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because earlier we were talking about the superpower of, mm -hmm. you know, being pregnant. And I would love to kind of talk about that. I know we're still in the early phases of learning more about this, mm -hmm. but essentially we had this structural body worker that we started going to. She started dropping bombs on us about becoming a mom and how much of a superpower that is. Oh my God. And I think if more women knew this, they would feel very different in those few months after delivering a baby. And so I think you'll be better talking about it than me, but... It's such a packed conversation because I had to learn this the hard way mm -hmm. because after having my twins and going back to work, I wasn't taking care of myself and putting myself first, putting a lot of pressure on breastfeeding two kids, trying to maintain who I was too as well, but I wasn't taking care of myself. And almost a year to the date of the delivery of my twins, I had a grand mal seizure. That was a big wake up call for me. You know, waking up, peed the bed, almost bit my tongue off. I had David's parents standing over me with my children. Mm -hmm. And they're like, do you know what just happened? That's like my biggest fear is like mm -hmm. losing control mm -hmm. and not knowing what's going on. So for me, that was, first of all, it was like three months of finding out whether or not I had a brain tumor and mm -hmm. doing all that test. Am I going to have another seizure? Can I drive a car again? That I really had to start to put things in perspective of absolutely not. I am taking care of myself first. Mm -hmm. And that way I can be a better wife. I can be a better entrepreneur and I can be a better mother. And that for me was so important and needs to happen. And I'm glad it happened as early as it did because some women never wake up to that. And I, I, I always get this all the time that it is really hard to take care of yourself, but you got to figure out what works for you. And some days you do it and some days you don't. And some days it's an hour-long practice and sometimes it's five minutes. Mm -hmm. But I think just taking that time and space for yourself is, is so important. But in this process of higher dose, we have launched a series called Biohack Hers, which is about female biohacking. And Stephanie and I were talking about just biohacking and what an interesting community it is. One, that it's mainly male-dominated, mm -hmm. all the biohackers are men. And it's a narrative of being kind of like faster, stronger, smarter, and live forever, yeah. which does not pertain to us females at all. But women are the original biohackers. We just don't call ourselves that. So that's really the opportunity is to show women this amazing community of technology and philosophies and products and things that you can do 
to game change your health, not just prevent, but optimize. Yeah. But we just have different goals than men do. And we have different hormonal stages in our lives too. Mm -hmm. Pregnancy being one, post-pregnancy being another, menopause being another. Men, luckily enough, only have a 24-hour cycle. We have 24 hours and a 28-day cycle. Mm -hmm. That needs to be considered. And it changes and we change. And you change totally when you have kids too as well. Yeah. Um, so it's really become my mission to deep dive into all the research and resources out there for women to optimize all these stages of their lives. Yeah. Now, I, I think the more knowledge that we can just get around us and not just general concepts, I mean, the more empowered you feel. I know we were talking about um, like when you're pregnant, you lose 30% of your brain mass. <laughs> and you and I both were like, what? And then you, thankfully, are that friend who looked into the research and found all the research is true. However, after you deliver that baby, that is the best time to change your whole life. Yes. That is the best time to create new patterns. Yes. That's a, as long as it says you need to be breastfeeding for at least a couple months. Mm -hmm. You need to get sun. There's a couple, I would say, pretty simple things to be doing in those three months after having that baby. But it's like a time that you can completely transform your life. Yes. And I think if more women knew that, they would go into that period with just different thoughts. Less pressure on yourself, yeah. right? It's like, why am I not thinking properly? Like, why can I not make the same connection? Why am I not interested in the same people that yeah. I was interested in before? Why am I having like a different kind of life path yep. afterwards? And it is pretty amazing that the female brain prunes. It's mm -hmm. called pruning, which is so wild to lose gray matter in your brain. Mm -hmm. But then the opportunity to grow it back and better and recreate new pathways. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're right. It's like that opportunity, if you don't know it, is a loss, I think, for us. Yeah. And there's also a lot of the things that you're already feeling drawn to doing naturally is to help that. So mm -hmm. when we're all out walking with a stroller, that's because our brain is like, hey, having that kind of move movement will actually help rebuild mm -hmm. your brain in a certain way. Hey, mm -hmm. having that sun on your shoulder blades, like that's going to help you. And so a lot of the things, I think if we start to learn to trust our intuition more mm -hmm. and just get out there and do the things that our body's telling us to and not having guilt around the outside wor world telling us, and you need to do all these other things Which too. Which is male dominated, yeah. the outside world, right? Get yeah. back to work, go, yep. go, work back out, yep. work back out, work out, get your yeah. body back, you mm -hmm. know, all of those things. Um, and yeah, we end up putting so much pressure on ourselves mm -hmm. when meanwhile, it's such a natural, beautiful, amazing opportunity. Yeah. And I think what's really missing is community, mm -hmm. uh, education, resources. It's kind of a cool time to have kids, I feel like, and especially we live in Austin, which I think is pretty lucky, yeah. where women are sharing mm -hmm. their traumas, the things that have happened to them, their experiences so that we can all learn from it. Whereas before... Women never used to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Like, my vagina is totally different than what it used to be. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And now I pee my pants. <laughs> but it's like, oh, wait, actually, here's what you could do about yeah. that. There's pelvic floor exercises. There's yeah. radio frequency for the vagina. There's this, like, machine that you can sit on that does, like, mm -hmm. Kegel exercises. Then there's just exercises in itself. There's Maya massage after you mm -hmm. have give birth. There's so many things that you could do. And I... I think especially in this Western world, after you have a baby, there's no support. Mm -hmm. right? like, most oh. other countries there are. Like most you are literally in therapy afterwards, working those muscles back and like trying to heal your body in a natural way. Especially in Scandinavian countries. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of support for yeah. women afterwards. 
Um, and there's just not that support here, even in the workforce, right? Being expected to go back to work. Mm-hmm. Some policies don't even pay you for that time off. And yeah, it's just like there's a lot going on. And I always just thought it would be so amazing to do a whole series on the evolution of what you kind of do to biohack and get ready for, you know, fertility and gene testing and, mm-hmm. you know, making sure your structure's good too. Cause like, what we've if seen recently, hurts or our structure's not good. Yeah. Now we know our structure needs to be. You were actually the first one to identify my misstructured body. <laughs> this is what happens when I'm friends with you, looking at me like, hmm, Steph, your rib looks out of place. What? <laughs> and you were right, kind of. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it makes it carrying a baby so much harder. Mm-hmm. You know, like even getting your hormones under yeah. control before having a baby so you're not like struggling with all the hormonal issues that you can have when carrying a baby. It's like, I wish there, I knew what I know now when it came to, you know, five years ago when I was thinking about getting pregnant for the mm-hmm. first time, because I didn't know any of those things. And I struggled the whole way. And I thought, you know, even when it came to delivery, I was like, women have babies all the time. Like, and I'm a athlete. I did Navy SEAL training. Like I'm yeah. going to have no problem. And yeah. sure enough, it was the worst and best day of my life. Like mm-hmm. I had the most traumatic delivery of my twins because mm-hmm. I just wasn't prepared and didn't have the resources. I didn't have the right team around me. And I didn't do all the things that I wish I could do, which kind of makes me want to have another kid just to- I was going to say, just go for it again. (laughs) That's in my head sometimes. I'm like, huh, maybe it'd be nice to try it again, knowing what I know. I'm so much smarter now. Kind of. You like want to heal that experience. Because like, I am so afraid of having another child. Mm -hmm. I'm terrified. Well, Terrified. you're in a very different setting now. So things would be totally different, but. Yeah. And there really is that opportunity to maybe document it. Mm. <laughs> you're so funny. That's true. What's the, to get into the other, back to the biohacking space, what is the like craziest, weirdest biohacking thing that you've done? Because I feel oh like you God. try a lot of things that some of them would like make me laugh hearing about. So like, what is something that you've done where you're like, I don't even know if that worked, but it was weird. Okay. So definitely weird was my combo ceremony. Combo. Uh-huh. Combo. So that's where they're, yeah. for anyone who doesn't know, they're pricking you with like something on fire. No, they're burning you. Burning, burning you. holes into your arm. Yeah. And they drop and then, frog venom. Yep. In your, those holes. In those holes. <laughs> so if you're in Austin, you're like, yeah, this is totally normal. If you're anywhere outside of Austin, you're like, what the hell are they talking about? Yeah. And then you get so hot your mm-hmm. head feels like it's going to explode with pressure yeah your face literally looks like a frog yeah because your eyes are like going to pop out of your head and then all of a sudden all that pressure goes away and you go white as a ghost and you get nauseous mm-hmm. and you puke your living guts out so I'll, i know a lot of people try combo and it's usually to prepare for plant medicine ceremonies they're trying to clear out their cleansing. body cleansing they're having issues with their gut why there's did you actually do it? an anti-aging peptide in there too as well which biohacker todd who did the ceremony for us was the definitely by far the most educated okay i do you call them practitioners or yeah yeah, yeah. or facilitators facilitators yeah. yeah how long did you keep it on you because usually you wipe it off minutes you went the whole 20 I minutes? I went the whole t- Oh, yeah. Like, Jeez. if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? Especially when there's oh a camera gosh. watching. I'm like, yeah. I'm going to give you guys a show. Most of my like, friends, like, wipe it off after five minutes, seven minutes. It becomes too much. So, of course, you did. Of course, you kept it well, off. Well, I just, I, I do love pushing things to mm-hmm. the limit. I love trying to get the most bank for my buck and getting the most out of it. And I have no problem being so vulnerable on camera. That probably is why I love being a TV presenter and making content. Because I am an open book. Like, I will tell you 
anything mm-hmm. and the most I, embarrassing yeah. things. And I, I found that to be very helpful for me mm-hmm. and learning from other women. So I have no shame in sharing any of my traumas, things that have happened to me, who, which ultimately make me who I am today. So I, I feel like that yeah. is great, you know? Um, so yeah, I puked for 20 minutes. And then afterwards, he even analyzes your vomit. Yeah. And yeah. can tell if you've had candida, mm-hmm. like if it's super yellow, it's like bile from the liver. I always have to work on the liver. I'm naturally just default angry. Mm-hmm. So I it's remember the- us talking about this. <laughs> We're going to work on that. <laughs> you know, because you have so much going on running your own company. You have three kids and twins. And the funny thing is, is that if you meet Stephanie, she's the most lighthearted, fun, playful person. And I'm, I just don't understand how you could be all those things. <laughs> That's what happens when a lot of bad things happen to you in a condensed period. And you're just like, eh, now everything's funny from here on out. <laughs> Really? So I mean, were yeah. you like that before no, those no. bad things happened? No. I would say if you talk to me either while I was married or before that, I was a lot more serious. Uh, I definitely had more anger that would come up easily because I was from a household of anger? sometimes anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, grew up that way, as we've talked about before. And I think it took me getting divorced while pregnant, having a company almost going under, like all these things happening at once for me to be like, okay, zoom out of this whole situation. Is any of this that serious? Like I, when I was in it, I was in this like victim state. Oh, mm. what was me? Sad. You know, the whole world's crumbling around me. Um, but after a while, I just started being like, okay, I need to bring levity to these situations or it might actually crumble me. Mm-hmm. And so that's why now when you see me, it's like most things are kind of funny. Nothing's that serious. I think when the Silicon Valley Bank stuff was happening. I think I saw you and I was laughing and you were like, what stuff? I'm like, it is kind of funny. Like, this is just ridiculous. Like, and. But I always find like people even that have had traumatic experiences, they learn that lesson. But to be able to maintain the lightness Mm -hmm. throughout your whole entire life. Yeah. Instead of just moments or maybe be angry first and then light very quickly. Yeah. But like the fact that you live it and maintain it and embody it is pretty impressive. I have to process it too, though. I feel like I will feel the anger a lot of times or feel whatever it might be, but then I have to process it out of me because, I mean, we- But how? So, I mean, definitely ceremonies. Mm -hmm. That has been very helpful to me to be able to see a larger picture to the things that are happening. Once you start realizing, and this is very me personally, some people might not resonate, but once you start realizing there's something- bigger than you mm-hmm. that's helping kind of orchestrate this, whatever that may be. Some people might call it God. Some people might call it spirit, their higher self, angels, whatever. Once you see that, you can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. And you realize that some of these things happening just have to happen to mm-hmm. you. And so instead of being caught up in the scenario, you're like, well, this is a part of my story. And going through all of that is actually going to help me get to this next stage. And so you get out of the emotions and you're not as caught up in like, oh my God, this is so hard. Mm-hmm you've seen a bigger picture and you're like, okay, this is part of the plan. Mm-hmm. Whatever that plan is, I don't exactly know, but I'm okay with going through these roller coasters because it's going to make me better. Mm-hmm. And if I look back at all the shitty stuff that's happened to me, I wouldn't be the CEO that I am today if I didn't have all of those things happen to me. And so now I can just see a bigger picture because of many different modalities that I've explored, but it takes me out of the equation as much. It's not all on me. I don't feel yeah. all the pressure. Do you need the plant medicine and ceremony in order to work through big things that happen to you now? Or can you tap into that energy and that knowing now that you've experienced it? 
Well, I will say everyone's different. Mm -hmm. Some people can tap into that without it. Some people can tap into that in breath work. Um, Other people like me who, you know, had a lot of people forcing religion on me for a while, believe in God, this, Mm -hmm. this, and it just didn't resonate. Um, It took that experience a couple of times for me to realize, oh, okay, there's something bigger at play here and I don't have to understand it. And I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm okay with these different pieces. It's all this like game and there's all these different players on it. And no one's trying to do things to me. This is happening for me. All mm-hmm. these experiences are happening for like me. Like an opportunity for change or yeah, yeah. So a once new direction? Yeah. So I'd say, yes, having those experiences is still helpful for someone like me. I don't need them all the time. Um, but I can tap into that space now seeing what I've seen. I can tap into it on my own yeah. just by sitting and thinking now and mapping through the scenario. So that's kind of how I can process it is trying to get back to that state. Um, but I mean, that's you know, getting into these places, why they're so impactful is because you get to experience something as if it happens to you. Yep. And so you can imagine a million times about a scenario. Well, let me try and imagine what it looks like if this one thing happens. Yep. But unless you actually go through it, you cannot put yourself in that same setting. You can't put your body, your feelings, your emotions. You cannot really get in that setting mm-hmm. unless you're in it. Mm-hmm. But when you go into a different higher space in your mind, however you get there, and you're actually in that setting, you can fully experience all the emotions that are part of it. And you can bring that back into this world and operate as if. And so maybe you can call it meditating, whatever you want to call it. Um, You can have a ceremony, whatever you choose. Mm -hmm. Um, If you go to that space and you're experiencing something and you come back, say you come back with a confidence because you've seen what your future holds. You've seen what you want to build. You've seen the vision. I've seen the vision for mission. I see exactly the parts that I want to pull together to make that happen. And I will come back to my day-to-day with a confidence and excitement and levity to make sure I'm still having fun with it because I know exactly where I'm going and I felt those feelings. Yeah. And then it's the law of attraction from there, right? You're outputting that energy. Exactly. People sense the confidence and, yep. ooh, I have fun with her. I yeah. want to work with her more. Maybe there's an opportunity. Oh, yep. she's super open-minded. Maybe I can come to her with this idea. Yeah. You start putting off these, we'll call them frequencies, but there's still science around it too. There's science that measures the heart coherence that comes off your heart or frequencies or energies or whatever. Whatever you want to call it, you will start attracting those things in your life because you're giving it off. Mm-hmm. And so once I started seeing and experiencing that, I'm like, okay, now I kind of know how this works works a bit more. Um, and it's kind of gotten me to how I am now. Which... Yeah. I always dread plant ceremonies before, mm-hmm. like really dread. I'm like, oh, like feels like so much work. Yeah. And then I go and do them mm-hmm. and feel like a brand new person afterwards. And I wish I could remember how I felt more often mm-hmm. so that then next time I, I get the opportunity to do it when I need it, yep. that I don't feel like it's so much work and I get more excited about the opportunity versus like, this like nervous mm-hmm. kind of worrying of how I'm going to react and what's going to come out of it. And is it going to be really like dark? And Yeah. And it might be. I mean, it, that's, you have to be kind of open to what is. Right. What's supposed to come up will. But the biggest thing is all of that's normal and fine and okay. And I've experienced that too. But the biggest thing is how you integrate those experiences that you had. How do you pull that into this 3D world? How do you pull it into your everyday, how you're operating, how you're momming, how you're CEOing? Like those experiences can't just live in that space yeah. when you're in that space. You need to be able to bring it down to you. Actually, do you know of any cultures or or places in the world that are giving moms plant medicine after they give birth? I don't know. Because that feels like such an experience that Mm -hmm. needs to be like fully processed and integrated. Yeah. 
all my trauma came from my childbirth. Like not yeah. my childbirth, yeah. but the delivery of my twins. Like I had a crazy experience, which we can save for another time because I've told this story thousands of times. Yeah. And I did ketamine therapy. I was actually going to say that's what ketamine's known for. Yeah. With this PTSD in two sessions. It's a biohackers episode. I encourage everyone to go watch it if you're curious about it. But I, I'm, I'm almost like this should be offered to all women. Yeah afterwards yeah. because how connected you feel back to yourself mm-hmm. your kids the planet all things yeah feels so important and i feel like every woman carries a little bit of ptsd after they deliver right yeah. it's like it, is my kid breathing mm-hmm. is someone going to come through the window and steal them when they're sleeping yeah like geez s- seriously such weird thoughts yeah. that you have mm-hmm. that you struggle with as a new mom i wonder if they get easier the more kids that you have but i just feel like it's just normal for us to kind of have to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it'd be interesting to see if, yeah, like you said, other places around the world do that. Something in me is saying no, because if you think about a lot of the plant medicine activities, ayahuasca, it's like usually the men were going and doing it. They would bring it back to the village, the new insights, the knowledge. And that's and is that what integrate. it was? They just wanted to share the vision or, or yeah, usually be one the person for themselves. Well, they would, I think, share it. I should probably look more into this, but I think they would share it, <laughs> spreading this information here. I don't know. Um, but It'd be interesting to see if they do do that for new moms. Um, but then I would say for something like ketamine, didn't I tell you that uh, the recent doctor, Terry, that I saw, based off my genes, that she said you should not do ketamine. Oh. And I already knew that. But why? Um, some some gene that I have. And she's like, that won't really work for you. It actually just might make you feel worse. And I had tried it before. And you didn't feel good on it? No. So I, that's why I think there's an interesting approach between bringing science and, you know, the ancient wisdom, ancient wisdom together and intuition, intuition, <laughs> literally blend it. It's not that hard, people <laughs> blend things together. But yeah. yeah, number one, I always say trust yourself. But yeah. I do think if you know what you know about your genes, yeah. there's just no point in playing in a space if you're like, well, you could play work. in it, you but could. you might just want to honor that it's just not for you. And I, yeah. I do like I always call myself a human guinea pig. I'll try anything once. But used to be the tagline off of a uh, woman versus workout. I need to think of some weird like, things for you to try just so I can watch. I'll try anything once. I always say I'll try everything twice because the first time you really might not like it, but the second time might be a maybe. So, But usually, yeah, if you do have a good connection to yourself and your intuition, you can kind of know if this is right for you or, or not right for you. And that's why it's really great to have a lot of tools mm-hmm. in your tool belt it's really great to be exposed to lots of different things that have worked for multiple different people and then sort of sense what's good for you. I mean, all the stuff that we're talking about is safe for everyone to at least experiment with mm-hmm. most of the time. I mean, I feel like if anything, the scary thing that you don't want to go to is, you know, Western medication and prescription and Mm-hmm. that's a slippery slope. That's when it really, you know, can do some damage. Um, so kind of having these tools to try to help heal yourself and ultimately just support your body so that it can do its own healing is is what it is that I'm trying to bring to more women. Yeah. yeah. And men, really. But as a woman myself, it just naturally comes from my perspective. And I mean, it's good that you're going through all this so that we can watch because I think What's happening now is women especially forgot how to trust their intuition. Yeah. I know I did. And I did not learn how to even know what is my gut telling me until science, like, you know, the 23andMe analysis that I did and saying, like, here's some things that you should do, shouldn't do. When I heard that, it confirmed, oh, yeah, I already kind of felt those things, mm-hmm. but I didn't fully trust it. 
And so that's where I think we need more of that to come in and remind people what you're feeling is true. Trust that. And here's a little scientific help to support that feeling. As well as the ancient wisdom. As well as the ancient wisdom. Yep. stood the test of time and have yep. been working forever. And a lot of our product inspiration comes from exactly that. Actually, that's one of our pillars is um, ancient wisdom and then, you know, married with science. And you, we always call like science kind of biohacking because mm-hmm. the biohacking world is a little bit more science-based. And we can develop such great products with just having those two complementary, you know, like even in, with your own wellness, you know, using science to test and just confirm where mm-hmm. you're at, but then maybe looking towards more of, you know, the remedies that come from the earth that are more gentle that can't really do much harm is kind of the way to go initially. Yeah. Um, but there is some great technology out there. There's some great therapies and and ketamine is definitely one of them that can work for a lot of people. And mm-hmm. I've done, you know, ayahuasca, I've done mushrooms, I've done you about to get arrested on this show, girl. Just kidding. Uh, oh, I'm really? Just, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just like putting the fear in, of God in people sometimes. <laughs> oh, my God. No. Um, I'm like, oh, no, but I like have a video on it. <laughs> no. <laughs> you should watch it. No, no. Um, but ketamine was the best for me. So what are you trying next? Like, what are you most excited to try? What are you scared to try? Oh, man. Um, a lot of these uh, 10-day meditation courses scare the shit out of me or like isolation three mm-hmm. days where you're like in a dark yep. room with all your senses. I'm like, why would anyone want to do that? That sounds terrible. That sounds terrible. I don't need to push myself that far. <laughs> no. And I think that you, and, and I guess it's maybe for the people that are more afraid of plant medicine because their intuition's telling them mm. that maybe that's not the best for them and that maybe something more kind of controlled yeah. could be better. Yep. Um, so I, I just like that there's that as an option. So I'm definitely more afraid to do that. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like mm-hmm. Katie can do that one. I don't want to do that episode. Yeah. Yep. One thing I was really interested at South by, um, there's a company called Wave Neuro, mm-hmm. and they have some really great solutions for brain and balancing the brain with neurofeedback. Mm-hmm. There's not much that you can do to get your brain to function, fire, communicate, uh, operate, mm-hmm. get rid of PTSD and heal trauma like concussions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's like the Joe Dispenza's and the meditation and like mind over matter and probably plant medicine too as well. But I thought this was really interesting because they have a lot of research Mm -hmm. um, and how they're helping kids with ADD and autism, uh, a lot of traumatic brain um, concussions. And pretty much what you do is you get this EEG reading, which I had when I had my seizure, which usually is used to detect if you're going to have a seizure. But it measures your brain waves and how your brain is communicating front to back. And it can tell you how much information you can take in and how much you can actually spit back out, like mm-hmm. how much you've taken in out of the pieces of information. So it's usually like I can take 12 pieces in, but I'm only able to remember, process, put an emotion behind eight pieces. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of misinformation, which is why you're always like some people don't really get like you're having an argument with them and they're just so emotional about it and they can't really see the bigger picture, mm-hmm. it's usually because their brain's not communicating properly. Sometimes they could have had head trauma mm-hmm. or definitely, you know, like aut- autism, right? Your brain's not mm-hmm. communicating. So they don't get it and they're having like an emotional flare up. So once you have the reading, they can figure out exactly how your brain's communicating. 
And then they treat that with this neurofeedback program. And there's a clinical version where you could go into a clinic or they are now launching where they do your program and they send you the unit for home and you do 30 days of neurofeedback so that your brain gets optimized and starts working. Well, I want to do this. I know. Are you bringing it to your house? <laughs> yeah. Let I want know. to do a biohackers episode on it. Okay. Um, I will be the test subject. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'll be the tribute. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is that there's like a hundred clinics okay. um, across North America already um, to get the EEG reading. It's like $200, okay. which is not much to get the actual program. I think it, the, the unit itself might be like 1500, mm-hmm. but in the grand scheme of things, if you're really having issues mm-hmm. and you want to optimize and, you know, there's just, again, not really much science-backed mm-hmm. technologies that can help your brain. Yep. Okay. So, so I think that one's, then. yeah, that one's kind of cool. And again, I would love to see what someone's brain activity was like after you have a baby mm-hmm. compared to what it was like before and monitor the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe with that study that we were looking into on losing gray matter and pruning, yep. maybe they used EEG. I don't know. Well, we should look into yeah. it. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Yeah. I just think that's such a cool experience. And the woman that I was talking to also balances hormones afterwards too, because a lot of times when you have brain trauma, it affects your hormones, especially mm-hmm. with men. Concussions, if you've had major concussions, that could be contributing to a lot of, um, you know, drops in testosterone, mm-hmm. um, you know, PT- PTSD-like behavior. Yeah. So to be able to kind of reprogram and heal the brain, I think it's so awesome. Man. Okay. So much content to make, so many things to explore. Definitely have to bring you back into the studio for a round two so we can catch up on all we the new things Terry we're trying. Here we should here one time and do like a three- A round table. Right? Yeah. Let's because do it. we have this um, mutual practitioner who is amazing and she is a gene specialist, a nutritionist, but a kinesiologist. And kinesiology is one of those things that is proven, but it really does kind of depend on the practitioner itself. Like mm-hmm. Terry is an incredible kinesiologist and can test you through someone else as long as you give them permission. Mm-hmm. But she also can pick up on kind of blockages, um, traumas that have happened that are contributing to a gene being turned on or off mm-hmm. that is affecting your health. Yep. Yep. Which I think is pretty amazing. Yeah. People um, need to know about the stuff that she's doing. So yeah, yeah let's definitely get her on here. I, I just wonder like, why our genes aren't considered before anything happens mm-hmm. like surgery some countries pregnancy. they are is it yeah some countries they literally look at your genetic makeup before they ever give you any medications any treatments because oftentimes you can look at your genes and be like hey this specific treatment actually won't work with you because of this your genetic makeup and so some countries are already doing that so i feel like we're way behind when thinking about that because it's just a one size fits all oh you're feeling depressed take this oh you're you know, having gut issues, take this instead of being like, it's a multitude of things and these things won't work until maybe you fix your diet, until maybe you fix your, you know, whatever it might be, a multitude of things. But I do think it is so important um, because your genetics will always be your genetics. Mm -hmm. And it's such a good baseline understanding. And even though it can feel like quite a big investment, think about all the times you've gone to all these random practitioners Mm -hmm. that tell you, cut out gluten and dairy and sugar and all mm-hmm. the things yeah. that are so obvious, but really not the root of the problem mm-hmm. when you can really use your genetics to support the root or at least guide you on asking the right questions based yeah. on your genetic makeup. 
Yep. So. Yep. All right. I'll be around to <laughs> yeah. episode. Lauren, thanks for joining me today. Where can yep. our listeners, watchers, viewers, everyone find out more about you and Higher Dose? Um, Higher Dose. So Higher Dose is higherdose.com, Higher Dose on Instagram. And then my Instagram, Lauren Berlin, like the city in Germany, and then G-E-R-I. I'm trying to be better on uh, Instagram itself, but I definitely encourage everyone to check out our show, Biohack Hers, about female biohacking. Um, and you can get to that through our YouTube channel or just on our website. Awesome. Thanks yeah. so much. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.